This week's episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Audible.com. Do you like books but hate the thing that makes them good, the words? Well, have I got something for you. Audible has audiobooks for every passion. You can get two audiobooks for free when you start today. And you know what? I When I read books like, say, American Pastoral by the, the, the guy who just passed away, Philip Roth, I'm thinking, hmm, I'm picturing this, but I'd rather hear, instead of reading it in my own head and trying to make my own sense of it, I'd rather hear Nick Offerman read it, for instance, and uh, have Nick Offerman's voice, the, you know, the deadpan. Uh, did Nick Offerman, does he do audiobooks? He did the George Saunders one. George Saunders, that's a great audiobook I heard. Anyway, uh, what you get with an Audible membership, you get one credit a month, good for any audiobook regardless of price. And again, that's one audiobook that you can just hear in your ears instead of use your eyes to read. Your own library to build. Keep your audiobooks forever, even if you cancel. Unlike real books, which you have to give away after you read ones. Exclusive member savings. Get 30% off any additional audiobooks and easy exchanges. Don't love the book? Solve it for free anytime, seriously. Seriously, you can swap it for free anytime, unlike a library where you have to pay money. You can start your free 30-day trial of Audible by going to boardwalkguide.com slash audible. You get two audiobooks to keep whether you sign up or not. That's boardwalkguide.com slash audible. This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support the show is by going to boardlockaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the support our artist button and shop on Amazon like Norley would, and I get a little kickback. This week's guest is Taryn Englehart, who was on Mod Night at UCB, wrote for Reductress, and is currently at The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Taryn's great and has a really interesting background um, that I didn't know before I started the podcast that I think people will find really interesting. So here is Taryn Englehart. Taryn, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, where are you from originally? Um, kind of all over. I was born in New Jersey, and then I went to high school in Delaware. Um, my family is in Louisiana now, and then uh-huh. my mom is from Hong Kong, and Whoa. my dad's from Pennsylvania, so it's a lot of, yeah. So you, but you, so you grew up in uh, Delaware, or you grew up in New Jersey mostly? I was in New Jersey until I was 11, uh-huh. and then I went to high school in Delaware. Okay, cool. Uh, well, like, did you, were you into comedy, like, at an early age? Um, not really. I didn't really, I didn't grow up on, like, SNL or mm-hmm. television or anything. Uh, my parents were very, like, religious and weird about that stuff, so I just watched a lot of Veggie Tales up until I was, oh. like, very much older. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is it Jonah? Jonah's right, the main guy? Bob the Tomato and Larry the Cucumber. Is there no Jonah? I thought there was, like, a Jonah. Cause it's, like, a Christian oh, thing, right? Yeah, maybe he's, like, the, the squash or, or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Larry the Cucumber. Mm-hmm. You think they would do alliteration with those, right? I think that would maybe be better. Yeah. Yeah. Carl the Cucumber. Right. Tom the tomato. Yeah. Tom, that's 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 sitting there. That's obvious. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So so were you like watching? So you were like VeggieTales is like your normal like your main thing. Yeah, it was that, and then this weird um, like puppet version of Bible stories. Whoa. And then when I was a teenager, I saw Passion of the Christ, and I think that was like the first movie. That and Titanic without the sex scene, I think, were the two things that I was allowed to watch. <laughs> without the sex scene, they like yeah, they would. My parents would like just turn it off. Oh wow! Um, but yeah, so I, I didn't um, I didn't watch a lot of television, and I, I wasn't very exposed to a lot of things. But um, yeah, I didn't get into that until like much later. So was that like I don't know? Did that like that that like changed like influenced the way you do stuff now? Is that like you didn't like that you had like a very strict upbringing? Kind of. I think mostly it's just that I don't know a lot of things that I should know uh, in terms of like pop culture references. Mm-hmm. I know things, but they're very niche and they're things that I figured out much later. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Did you do like any like writing or performing stuff like growing up? Not really. I wasn't yeah. in theater. I didn't. Um, I was a very like quiet kid and I, I read a lot. I think my thing, I just liked books. Like, I was very, I would read a lot. I would read under the desks. I would get in trouble for that. Um, and whenever my parents went to, like, the grocery store or something, I would, you know how they used to have the sections with books and stuff? 
They oh, would... right. Do yeah. they not have those anymore? I don't know. I haven't seen them. No. In... Yeah, there's none in like the, the key foods. But, oh, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but we used to go to ShopRite, and I would sit in those sections, mm. and I would read the books, and I would like pretend that I had a classroom. I would always like play, <laughs> act, but I don't know that it was comedy or yeah. or what. Yeah. The um, those books are like not good, right? Are the books that they have at the grocery stores like they're like James Patterson right. stuff? Right? Yeah, they're like they're like ten cent romance novels yeah. with like Fabio and the. It's always like a baron and a, a, a farm girl. <laughs> what what kind of books did you like reading back then? I was really into like. Um, fantasy i would read anything but mm. i was really into like fantasy stuff like lord of the rings oh, yeah. i read a lot um my dad was a high school english teacher so i read a lot of oh. uh, like i was reading macbeth i think when i was a kid I, I tried to read war and peace which i pretended to understand more than i, I right. did um yeah well just anything the red wall series i was like obsessed with red wall i don't know that one <laughs> it's these animals <laughs> it's like these animals who live in like medieval times and they, it's mostly just very gratuitous descriptions of food. Um, <laughs> so are they like, like the pig is like the knight or something? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, the badger, I think, is the knight. <laughs> okay, cool. That's fun. Yeah. I, I've been trying to get into Russian literature. I think that's my goal for this summer. It's like my number one thing is to read like Russian literature and understand it. Oh, and, wow. Uh, I probably won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Have you read like Dostoevsky or? Uh, I've read um, Notes from the Underground. Yeah. And I, I liked it, but um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It feels like a lot to tackle, like a, like War and Peace or something like that. Yeah. It's one of those things where, like, it's better if maybe if you read it in a class and right. you have somebody, like, holding you accountable for yeah. understanding what's going on and finishing things. I read uh, Infinite Jest <laughs> last summer, and that was huge for me. Whoa. Yeah. It took you the whole summer? It, it, it kind of did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to read it on my iPad because I couldn't carry that book around. Yeah. It's it's kind of it's too much. Yeah. It's like, it's just unwieldy to like read a big book like that. And, you on know. the subway? Yeah. Here. Yeah. What are, you, what are you studying now? Uh, so I'm doing uh, dramatic writing. So we don't do any reading, pretty much. We do... Um, it's like screenwriting, uh, playwriting and, uh, TV writing. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we read plays, but that's, you know, that doesn't count. That's like, it's like a hundred pages of just like dialogue. It's not much. Yeah. It goes by really fast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, been renting a lot of books from Bopst, the NYU library. Oh, nice. Yeah. Go check out Bopst. They got a lot of good books. Shout out to Bopst. Yeah. Better than uh, the public library, I'd say. Whoa. I've never been to either. Yeah. Oh, check out the library. Yeah. Check out the park. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so when you were going to college, did you like know what you wanted to do? Um, not really. I I was doing a lot of. Again, it took me like a long time to land on comedy um, or writing. I went initially for cognitive science, so I was studying that uh-huh. and linguistics. Um, and I was in a really intense Arabic program for like four years. Whoa. It just took, it was like day and night. <laughs> they really just were not fucking around with it. Um, but it's also like an impossible. You can't swear on this. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's really, um, it's, a, it's impossible to learn, really. Um, Arabic? Yeah. It just, there's so many dialects and they teach you like right. a root system and the root system is so different from how you would actually talk. So I don't know. I just spent years learning this thing that ultimately when I went abroad was kind of like, it, it was much more than I think I signed up for. So you went, you went abroad to like an Arabic speaking country? Yeah. Um, I lived in Morocco for a while. Oh, I had a friend um, who lived in Morocco oh, really? doing Arabic. Like she learned Arabic from Morocco. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. What'd she think? Oh, she loved it. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's amazing. It's it's beautiful and yeah. They have um, that that blue city. Shafshawin. I, I don't know what it's called, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> the city that's blue. Yeah, the Avatar city, I like to call it. Oh yeah, that's that's where they live. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. so I, I did that for a while, and then um, I switched to political science, and uh, I just didn't I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Yeah. I think I wanted to join like the state department or something or like okay. be a translator or I don't know, just like not, I don't think I really wanted to be in America for a while. I think that's actually, that's actually <clears throat> what my friend is like thinking now. Like she doesn't really know what she wants to do, but she's like, uh, maybe be a translator or like, 
uh, do something with past. I forget, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it. you could, it's a very open-ended right. yeah, thing to study. Um, but yeah, so then I, I moved here, um, and I just, I started taking classes at UCB, and I think I was doing that for, like, maybe two years, mm-hmm. um, and then I got this job, and now um, I do that. So <laughs> What made you decide to move to New York? I was the easiest thing to do at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my friend, uh, my best friend from college had an apartment here. Mm. Um, and I just was like, all right, let's live together. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't, there wasn't a lot of like forethought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How did you discover UCB? Um, I was, this is like, I hate to credit a man for anything, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I was, I was dating somebody in college. Uh, this was like maybe Matt Besser June, yeah Matt Besser Whoa. you know him yeah yeah my adult boyfriend <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so we were together um for like two years or something but uh he was the first person who I dated or really was close with who I was like oh my god you're you're funny and it's that's cool to me and like that's fun and I, I really like this um and he I think had taken some classes at UCB and it came up, so I heard about it, but I, I really had no intention of like doing anything with it mm-hmm. um, until years later. I was like, oh, maybe I'll, I'll try that. Was it something <laughs> you immediately liked? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I took an improv class with Anthony Atamanik, um, and he's amazing. It just... Um, yeah, it was a. I took a one-on-one with him, which is, I guess, really weird because I don't know that he teaches those very often. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I really needed it when I moved here. It was how I made friends and how I met people, and it was sort of gave me this thing to look forward to doing. And yeah, I don't know. I'm. Uh, I can be kind of an inhibited person sometimes. So it was a nice exercise to. Yeah. Was there um, like a moment where you like really thought you were like getting it? <clears throat> improv. Yeah. There were like moments. I don't know that there was a moment where I was like, "Oh, I, I'm good at improv now." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there were moments I had where I was like, "Oh, this is really, really a cool thing," mm-hmm. um, and I'm enjoying it. But I don't. Yeah, yeah. I was never like improv was never like my. <laughs> but you, my thing. you were on a mod night. Hmm. Uh, so how like how was that experience of getting a mod night? Um, great. I loved I love my mod team so much. Um, they really were like the best. Um, and I would have I would have stayed another year. I just I love them all so much. Like the actors are so talented, and all the other writers were like amazing. Um, yeah, we were really close. Um, and it was good. I, it forced me to be writing consistently, and it forced me to stage things, and it forced me to like actually watch what I was writing and how it played out and how kind of actors handled it, which was a really good learning experience. Mm. Cause a lot of the times you're writing things, but it's just in your head and you have no way to like really test it and see if it works or fails like live, um, in front of people. And I was also at Reductress, so I was doing a lot of just headline mm. stuff. Um, so yeah, it was a really good experience. What's something like you <laughs> learned from doing mod night that you don't get from like doing like indie Indie shows are like uh, class sketches. Um, I think a consistent audience, like mm-hmm. a built-in audience who's just going to be there every week to see what you're doing or every month. Um, I think the ability to be writing with a group of people for an extended period of time and to get to know each other and to critique each other um, and to, to like to develop a relationship with people that you're working with. Um, so there's a consistency there. Um, and you're also getting feedback from, uh, like Shannon and whoever your director is. Um, so yeah. And then just discipline because you have to do it. Um, you just like, it's very easy to just put stuff off forever, right. but yeah. And, and what makes a good, uh, mod night sketch to you? I mean, I think the same thing that makes any writing good. I don't mm-hmm. think mod is any different from anything that you write. It's it's just be, you know, don't be shitty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, yeah, I mean, it's the same as, as any other form of writing. Mm-hmm. Like, just be, um, 
you know, uh, good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any favorite sketches from that time you're on Monday? Um, I don't think that... Oh, the first mod sketch that comes to mind that I saw that I was, like, obsessed with was Dan Chamberlain's sketch. Mm-hmm. I tell him this all the time because now I work with him, but um, it was that sketch he wrote that, uh, that Nelly Furtado song, I'm Like a Bird. And when they keep they they sing it and they're like I'm like a bird I have hollow bones. Oh, you know what? <laughs> I think I... <laughs> I had him on the show. I think he I think he talked about that sketch. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I saw that on Monday night. I was like, oh my god. That's funny. I, yeah, it was great. But any, any favorite sketches that you wrote from that time? Um, yeah, I think I wrote one that was like uh, I love her, but and it's a bunch of insane women sitting around <laughs> just shit talking their friend. Like, I love her so much. Like, I die for her, but also, like, I hope she... The Titanic <laughs> was real, and I hope she was on it, and she would deserve that. Um, and they're just, like, trying to drink wine, but they don't know how to drink it, and they're, like, <laughs> lapping it up like this. Um, and the person that they're shit-talking, I think her name is, like, Nina. And for some reason, I just made her a, a Titanic denier. She was like, <laughs> yeah, I just don't think it happened. <laughs> and everybody was like, Nina, no! <laughs> it did! Um, but yeah, I loved that sketch. That was really fun. And then I think it became kind of like, um, a running gag. We would just call each other Nina all the time. (laughs) Titanic denier is so funny. (laughs) It's such a weird, like stupid thing. And I think it came out because we were, we were all in a room just like talking about it and giving notes. And I think I said something where I was like, yeah, if the Titanic were real, I'd hope you were on it. And my friends were like, why would you? (laughs) (laughs) Why would that be real? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and, uh, you mentioned you worked at Reductress. Mm-hmm. How'd you get involved with Reductress? Um, oh, so like after I, m- I moved here and I started doing improv and stuff and I thought that maybe comedy and writing was something I was really interested in. I, I just started looking, I'm a very like practical person and I need to make money and I need to know that there's a way that I can live or I just can't. I mean, I love to make art and I'll do things for no money, but I'm also, you know, my parents are immigrants. There's this aspect of like, you have to find a job and like, you have to prove that you can Mm -hmm. make some money. So I was like, all right, like, where is hiring? Like, where is the place I can go that'll make me money? And turns out it's nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I did get an internship there. Um, And then I thought maybe something would come out of that. And then it did. I ended up um, getting staffed there like, uh, maybe like six months to like almost a year maybe mm-hmm. after um, and then that was my job for a while you mentioned uh, your parents again <laughs> mm-hmm. how, how do they feel about like comedy like you do comedy are they like do they think it's like a waste of time or I don't know just yeah just in general they were very um, especially my mom was very skeptical at first mm-hmm. I think um, yeah it was just sort of they thought it was something I'd get over mm-hmm. I don't think they were, they're not very, they're not like you have to go to med school or you have to go to law school, but they are very, they, no, they don't generally support things. It's weird to them. It's very like, yeah. they don't know what to make of it. Um, I don't think, it was until I got hired at The Tonight Show that my mom right, was like, yeah. okay, like, <laughs> now I see what you've been doing, like, this makes sense. Okay, there's maybe a payoff in, now and then. Um, but yeah, um, initially it was like, she doesn't even know what improv is. She has no idea like what sketches. I mean, I would tell her, I would call her and be like, Hey mom, like I have the sketch show. And she would be like, I still don't understand. (laughs) I have no idea. What do you just, you write and they don't pay you. Why are you doing that? (laughs) Well, that's like, that's like the biggest thing. Like if you explain like what UCB is, they're like, Oh, so you don't get, you do that show and you don't get paid. Right. Which I guess now everyone's kind of asking that question now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like I have two immigrant parents as well. My mom's from India and my oh, dad's cool. from England. And um, I got lucky. Well, I, I, I guess I said lucky. My sister was like an overachiever and I was very much a slacker. Mm. And so they put all their hopes on her because my mom's a dentist and she's like, you got to go become a dentist. Yeah. And uh, they were like, Alan, you can just do whatever. You're, you're good to go. <laughs> That's good. You had somebody else. Yeah. Too. So yeah. Now they're very proud of me podcasting. Oh, really? They, no, no. <laughs> no, they actually are very supportive. Um, I think because they didn't think I was going to become a doctor, they didn't have that high hopes for me. Yeah. So it's all great. Yeah. If you start out with the low expectations, I think as long as there's another kid who's doing what they yeah. want, they're sort of like, well, the other it's, 
one out of two is good. See, but so. now my sister is now uh, a teacher and a field hockey coach, and they're kind of uh, yeah. They're, I don't know how happy they are about that. Did she? She never went to dental school. She never went to dental school. They, they, they made her pre-med freshman year, and she dropped out of yeah. pre-med and changed, changed. You can't force people. You can't, yeah. What's she teaching in high school? Uh, well, she's actually, uh, she's not even a teacher yet. She's like a fellow, which is a weird thing, where she's like an assistant teacher for a year, mm. and then potentially she'll be hired after that. Yeah. Um, she majored in French and theater, so. That's, yeah. Gotta live her life. You have to. I mean, you just can't. I guess when you have a kid, you think, you can force it to be all these things, right. but like, no, you just made a person and that person is going to yeah, <laughs> do whatever yeah. they want. And my sister's great. <clears throat> Love my sister. Yeah. She's doing, she's doing great. Shout out to Brittany. I mean, good for a shout out to Brittany. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you mentioned that you were a, um, an intern. How would you like, what, what were your like, duties as an intern at Reductress? Um, they were, I think I would like my, before we kind of streamline things by getting like, a some program to do Twitter for us or whatever. I don't really understand that stuff. I would have to like follow and unfollow people just to like build a social media presence uh-huh. or something. Um, and what is, then, what is like unfollowing people entail? You follow people cause they don't follow you back. So, oh, I see. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're like following people to see if they follow you back. And if you don't, you, yeah, you're like, <laughs> bye. <laughs> um, and then I did, I like wrote articles. Um, but then I also was, oh, copying and like pasting articles into the WordPress thing mm-hmm. and like do, would do formatting stuff and choose the pictures mm-hmm. um but it was good for other th- i mean just to be around it and yeah and see how that stuff works and the opportunity to write there was yeah i mean i guess that's why it's valuable yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what do you think like made you uh like how do you think you you went from intern to like writer there i mean i don't know i guess you'd have to ask them they right, hired yeah. me <laughs> um I'm not really sure. I mean, I just wrote a ton, and yeah. I just was writing a bunch. And um, like, I Sarah reached out at some point over the summer, but was like very vague about things, and was like, "I think what are your plans for the summer?" <laughs> Something is what she said. I was like, "I don't know." Yeah. <laughs> um, and then a couple months after that, I, but I don't know what went on with them when they were making those mm-hmm. decisions. Um, yeah. How would you come up with headlines for Reductress? Um, I guess with it's a it's a very specific thing. Like it's satirizing like Cosmo and glamour mm. and women's empowerment media and stuff like that. Um, so there's a limited number of topics you can grab from. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I just I think it. It was also an easier thing for me to do just because I felt like it was very relevant to my life. Like sometimes I would just sit down and think about what I wanted to talk about or dating things or my opinions on like just um, how the media sees women and things. I mean, I would just would sit down and make a list and brainstorm. But I, I would try to write things that were relevant to me or that I thought was funny. Mm-hmm. Um whether it was about makeup or dating or op-eds or those those, um, those dumb, like, it-happened-to-me things that they have in, like, oh, Exo Jane. Exo Jane, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I know that, but I do. I don't. I never read Exo Jane, but I know it happened to me is Exo Jane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what makes a good headline, like, once you have, like, like the idea when you're writing it? Um, I think what well, should be funny... Um, I, the joke is in the headline, so mm-hmm. you have to read it and just laugh at that. I, mean, I think a lot of the times people don't even read the article. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's really the same as The Onion. Just It's a joke. It's a joke in a headline. Mm-hmm. That's so... <clears throat> I was thinking about... I talked to... I think Beth was on the podcast. I talked to her about that. But it's, like, kind of shitty that it's just, like, now it's... Because of social media, it's just, like, all headlines for everything. Yeah. Yeah, you put in, like, a lot of... You know, you write, like, a 400-page article. Yeah, 400, well, not 400 page. <laughs> 400, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I did. I don't know what I did. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, you, you put in that effort and then you copy edit it and yeah, maybe five people. <laughs> yeah. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I was, there was an onion article, um, a while ago that was, uh, I had, I mean, I keep talking about old episodes, but I had yeah. Seth Reese on recently and he wrote this onion article about like, um, bike socks or mm-hmm. something. And in the middle of it, it turns into talking about a threesome. Like it turns into like first person talking about a threesome. <laughs> And it's, uh, you know, if that came out today, I don't know if anyone would have read it. It yeah. just would have been like this, the bike socks. Oh. <laughs> what was the headline? Uh, it was like uh, man, something like man debates buying bike socks or something. It's something funnier oh, than that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something yeah. like that. And then it just turned into a threesome in the middle. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. That's like social media, I guess. Yeah. The only drawback of social media Truly, there's only one drawback I can think of <laughs> to technology, and yeah, it's that people won't read my articles. Uh, and so, when you have the headline, how do you go about like writing the article once you have the headline? Um, I think if the joke is very clear in the headline, then you write. Um, if it's a listicle or a first person thing, it depends, but you just repeat the joke over and over again mm-hmm. in many different ways and in ways that are heightening yeah. <laughs> and then it's over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very similar to like sketch writing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all the same for comedy writing. It's like once you decide on the thing that is funny that you promised mm-hmm. was going to be the thing that was funny, then you just deliver on it. How often, again, would, again. like, in both sketch writing and introductress, would you have, like, an idea and you'd start writing it and it just, like, it was kind of by the numbers too much, maybe? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, once you have a system like that, sure, it's easy. And especially when you're turning things out at, like, a very, once you get to, like, a certain quantity that you have to produce, yeah, mm-hmm. it becomes, it's helpful to have a formula. I mean, yeah, sometimes it's easy to fall into that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that I've made things that are, like, fine (laughs) um but yeah i mean if you can help it you know yeah try to surprise yourself i guess yeah what do you do when you have like something like that and you recognize that um i yeah that definitely happens um i think it depends like if there is a deadline and i just have to turn something in maybe there's not much to be done about it but if i can help it um i'll either kind of walk away from a while and try to think about it or um think about it from just a different angle or Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know i mean it it it's easier said than done but it's just trying to genuinely make yourself laugh Mm. um so uh and at reductress you had a controversial article oh i did yeah call it calling my representative wasn't oh, enough, yeah. so I fucked his wife. Yeah. What was, like, the story behind that? Um, I was mad at my representative because he wasn't answering my phone calls. And I think this was about uh, health care repeal. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to call him, and it just was going to voicemail, and I couldn't get a hold of him. So I was like, well, I don't know, dude. I fucked your wife. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I wrote that, and I... I don't know. It was like a dumb, it was a dumb, I laughed when I thought it. I was like, ha ha, (laughs) I'm going to write this stupid thing. Um, And then they posted it and people were like going nuts and it got back to my representative and it, I would very stupidly put my voting district in the article. Um, And so like my, my town. um, Right. Oh, I see. Okay, but did you like you, you used his name already, then, didn't you? No, my God, I didn't use. Oh, I no, see. I didn't use anybody's oh, name. Oh, why did anyone care then? I mean, even right. I think even if you did use his name, I still think people shouldn't care. But yeah, even, but even then, I feel like no one, definitely no one, should care then. Yeah, nobody should care. I didn't. I didn't libel anybody. Yeah. I didn't do anything that was illegal. Well, and also, you're you're allowed to use his name. I, he's a public figure, so I think you're allowed to use his name anyway. Right. Also, I think there's laws around satire. Right. That yeah. you can do anything that you want. Um, but I said I did give a specific voting district. Uh-huh. So people just extrapolated from that that I was talking about this guy yeah. and talking about his wife. And um, my parents freaked out because somehow it got back to... And my, my dad is a pastor. Um, and uh, my mom works at a Baptist church. And, um, you know, it was really weird. And they didn't know... This was before I think I had come out to them. So neither of them... 
they were both just very confused by what right. was going on and they had never read anything that I'd written before, but they're <laughs> friends. <laughs> they truly had never written a, a piece of writing I'd ever done. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and people from my dad's church like found it online because people were sending it around and I, my representative did get a hold of it. Um, and my mom called me and was just like, how could she was like, how could you do this? Like the institution of marriage is so sacred and you've you've just like how could you sleep with this guy's wife i was like it's not real <laughs> it's not <laughs> i think they just didn't understand yeah. like what satire was um and also i don't know for yeah for them they thought it was like an actual yeah an actual thing <laughs> um yeah but, so did, what, what did your representative do did he do anything he didn't do anything. Oh, uh, no, there were like people were tweeting at him and me, so we were in a lot of we were like <laughs> subtweeted together in a lot of things. Um, so I know he saw it, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he never like said anything to me. Um, wow. Yeah, and then somebody I think made like um like a Wikipedia page or something that was like unknown if uh, Garrett Graves' wife. Uh, fucked this comedy writer <laughs> i was like no i mean it's known that that never that never happened wow yeah <clears throat> yeah i didn't realize so when I, when I brought this up i didn't realize it was like that actually is kind of a big deal to you i mean like, like you, had, you had a lot of fallback or fallout from that yeah it was weird <laughs> for like no reason yeah yeah for no reason nothing was wrong with it nothing i think people read it and they just thought it was real yeah people don't like when they see those headlines they don't necessarily even know what reductress is right so they think it's like one of those exo Jane things. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's crazy. It's really, yeah. Has that, has that changed like the way you do comedy now at all? Um, no, yeah. <laughs> not really. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I think it was just a weird thing that happened once. Yeah. I'm not like trying to, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Change the world that way. <laughs> I'm I'm sure Reductress in general has like the worst like comments on Facebook and Twitter and stuff. How do you deal with that with that kind of stuff? Um, I don't have to. Right, right. I yeah. don't think I don't have to do anything. I read it sometimes, um, but I don't have to. I don't answer. I'm not gonna like engage with anybody. Um, but yeah, you get a lot of men's rights activists who are just <laughs> oh my god, it's unbelievable. Uh, They'll be like, oh, so you just like hate all men, so that's what this is about. Like, uh, there was one comment where somebody was like, I guess uh, female SJWs just hate water conservation or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's crazy to hear out of context, <laughs> right? I'm like, yeah, and hate it. Um, and then I think there was um, an article that I wrote about me marrying some like white dude just because he could say ni hao or something <laughs> and people the comments under that somebody made a twitter account called asian lesbian and they were just tweeting at me like kill yourself um Jesus. which was amazing um <laughs> i don't see anything wrong with that <laughs> um but i'd read it twitter would hide it from me and i would be like no show me <laughs> wow that's nuts that sucks. <laughs> yeah. That's terrible. It's fine. Um, I'm sure he's happy, and that's right. why he was doing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at Reductors, you also did live shows. How did you get started with that? Um, I think they were just trying to expand, and mm -hmm. they wanted to um, see what it would look like if Reductress had um, a live show. So they asked me and Jasmine Pierce, who's my best friend and my writing partner, <laughs> and we got hired together at The Tonight Show, and I, I write with her all the time. Um, but yeah, so we were hosting the show together and I don't think they, they gave us a lot of free reign with it. They were basically just like, do whatever you want. Um, you know, keep it within the reductress voice, but it's, it's your guys thing. You can do it however you want. So, um, yeah, we would just, we would do different things every week. We did like rejected headlines. Um, and then we played games and stuff. And I think we were roasting like old cosmos from the 1850s. Um, yeah. What's, what are Cosmos from the 1850s like? Like what you would think that yeah. they are. <laughs> yeah, like be soft, um, don't talk ever. Oh, um, <laughs> just boobs, have them. Um, uh, a lot of, oh, there was one great advertisement that was like for 
poise pads or something for for period pads but the advertisement was like ever since eve sinned in the garden (laughs) um and this is the curse of womankind so (laughs) um anyway kotex that's a pretty funny ad (laughs) yeah yeah I think it'd be funny if, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I think it'd be funny if they did that today. Yeah, yeah. But then a lot of times, I mean, you see things like don't even really change that much. I, I was reading this advertisement for a bra from like the 19th century and it was just like, you know, so your boobs can be firm, but lifted, but also soft and supported, but natural looking, but all these <laughs> things. And I feel like you still get a lot of that right. messaging today with stuff um, where it's like, why does my boobs have to be 18 different things? They're just, but why does it have to be all this this stuff? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, my friend is reading the autobiography of a Cosmo editor. Um, and as you can tell, I've, I'm only vaguely uh, accessing this information. And she was the one who changed Cosmo to what it is today, to like the more... Does that ring a bell? Does that, does that sound like something, right? How, maybe. What's her... What's her? Yeah. Do you know her name? No, no, no. I'm not. I'm really not sure. Cindy something could be. Maybe. Yeah. Um. I think she follows me on Twitter. Oh. But I don't. I don't know anything about. Yeah. But it's interesting. Yeah. You think. Uh. I wonder. I don't even know what Cosmo was before then. I guess was it less sexual? Maybe. I mean, I. I'm. Yeah. Maybe. I'm sure there weren't things like how to give a blowjob while punching him in the face. Right. <laughs> um, uh, I think I'm sure that only came around in the last like 10, ten years or so. Yeah. Um, I think it was a lot of just like how to be a proper lady and it was much more, you know, sexist in that way. Right. Um, and it was all about, I think, you know, it was much more geared towards how women can make themselves look a certain way men which i think is the angle we're just now trying to leave behind Mm -hmm. with magazines like that whether they're failing or succeeding i'm sure you could argue but um yeah i mean uh, back then i'm yeah i mean it was all about the male gaze and all that stuff yeah it is interesting to think about because now there's like a like a (laughs) whole new type of thing of like female empowerment but it's like empowerment through like like it's almost like, uh, like for instance, like I feel pretty. It's like it's like looking good for yourself, not for anyone else. Yeah. But then there's like a bit of like, well, don't you want to look good for everyone? Kind of, you know, even men, men or women, you know. Yeah. Don't, don't know. you, as a woman, just want to look good? Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I. Yeah, I, I don't think it's um, uh, there's anything wrong with that message of don't you want to look good for yourself Mm -hmm. um i think when it's used as a way to sell you things that's when it can go wrong um yeah it is just weird that it's all just marketing yeah it's all marketing (laughs) which sucks yeah no women didn't exist until john ham invented us in a marketing (laughs) group in the 50s to sell us eye cream we just didn't exist (laughs) As a demographic, and it's funny because like you, you learn like uh, like commercials are like all fake and and bad kind of yeah. And then um, I don't know. I feel like now we're like in, like Dove for instance. It's like they went like oh these are like real women. And it's like kind of but like no they're not. Yeah they're not. Do you remember when they made those bottles that were shaped like real women's oh yeah bodies and they were curved and yeah. 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 That's insane. <laughs> That's so insane. What woman is like, well, I hated my body. And then my lotion bottle had tits. So now <laughs> I'm <good>. fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I know for me it fixed everything, but uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, this is the whitest, straightest man on <laughs> feminism over here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when you're doing the live shows, how would you prepare for those? Um... I don't know if I should say this if Beth or Sarah are going to be listening, but um, very little preparation sometimes. Um, we would just kind of get together and I would FaceTime. I mean, I FaceTime with Jasmine like every second of my waking life. Um, we just talk constantly. But um, yeah, we would we would hang out maybe the day before, like a couple of days before um, and just like try to put together something that would be entertaining for people that we thought was funny and we'd show it to Sarah and Beth and they'd be like, yeah, that's fine. And maybe they'd give us notes or, or something. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it was a weird thing for me because Jasmine's been a performer her whole life. She um, went to NYU for acting and I just was not like I had done some improv classes, but I wasn't like I had no experience performing. So for me, it was terrifying. Um, and I remember uh, and I never did like stand up or anything. I, I just very quietly was writing in my own corner um, until people found me. But um, I remember I didn't even know how to hold a microphone. <laughs> like I, I went on stage and like she obviously she just grabbed a microphone and was walking around with it and knew how to hold it. And I stood there and was like scared to <laughs> go around the microphone. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was cool. And um, we ended up doing a, a live version of it in Austin for like Sketchfest. And I think oh, that cool. was, yeah, it was really, really fun. Uh, I'm going to Sketchfest next week. Oh, nice. Just for fun. Because I'm from Dallas, so I'm going home and then yeah. going for the weekend. Oh, cool. Yeah. Just to watch. Just to watch. I got some friends there. Nice. We're all meeting up. Shout out to Chris, yeah. Nick, Neil, Ashcon, and Nick Hamburger. Hey. <laughs> Nick Hamburger? Nick Hamburger. Amazing. Right? That's a real name. <laughs> Whoa. Um, it's funny you mentioned the mic stuff. Because uh, I feel like that's the thing people don't talk about is it's very awkward to like when you're when you don't know what to do with the mic. Yeah, especially with a mic stand. If you're doing like stand up, it's like where do you put the mic stand? Right. And stuff? Yeah. Do you? I was scared to lean on the stand because I didn't know if it would collapse. <laughs> <laughs> I, when you're holding it with this hand, like what are you? Right. Are you just gesturing with the other one. Yeah. It just gave. I don't. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an awkward thing. Yeah. It's crazy that you know stand-ups do stand-up for like hours just holding a microphone and like, yeah that's why like i guess Chappelle just now like sits and then smokes a cigarette or oh, something oh really yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's kinda, much better that way right yeah <laughs> what do you do you do stand-up or no 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 okay. i've been stand-up maybe five times yeah yeah i don't i never connected with it i like to watch it but i never yeah yeah it's tough well it's tough to get good at it because you have to go do these open mics and those suck yeah so. Yeah, I think I'm just maybe a lazy person, yeah, and if too. I can find a way to be comedic but also never leave my house yeah. or have anyone see me, <laughs> that is ideal. I've been going through this thing now where I, I just <laughs> post stuff on social media, and that's like all the comedy I do, <laughs> and that sucks. I, I'm getting, I'm like, I kind of get depressed now when I think about it. No, but you're doing like playwriting and stuff, and yeah, but then no one sees that really, and then it's just like, you could stage it. I could, I definitely could. You won't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, what's your favorite reductors article from that time? Um, that I wrote, or just on the site? Uh, both. Let's say both. <laughs> um, favorite things on the site. Anything that Anna Dresden wrote, I really love her. I think she's so funny. She was also one of those people who, when I first started doing comedy, I was like, this is, this is person is amazing. I would, like, read all of her stuff. Um, yeah, she – there was, like, an article she wrote that was just called Eight Good Tree. Eight <laughs> Good Tree. <laughs> and it was just pictures of trees, and it was written from the perspective of a bird um, <laughs> who was just – enjoying <laughs> these trees um but i like stuff like that um and then anything jasmine wrote obviously um and then uh, my own stuff i honestly i am kind of proud of the uh i married a man just because he could say ni hao just because <laughs> it was this thing that I, I get sometimes from and it's always a dude and it's always in this very smug way that they'll kind of come up to you and, and be like, so me how like I can say oh, this Jesus. stuff. And it's just like, you're not, well, what's funny about it to me is like, you don't, they don't realize that like I speak that language. So you sound dumb. <laughs> yeah. Like this doesn't sound good to me. <laughs> um, so I ended up just writing something about it and I was truly shocked at how many people were like, yeah, this also happens to me. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, again, wasn't really expecting it to go anywhere, like the representative thing. But, um, yeah, it ended up just a lot of people were talking yeah. about it. <laughs> um, and that was cool. I think that was just – it's interesting. When you write about something, an experience that you have, um, that you're not sure if anybody else has shared or if that many people have shared, um, and people end up seeing it. And, yeah. That's a cool thing about comedy, and like specifically <laughs> stuff like Reductress and The Onion. Yeah, because they can hit that stuff. Yeah, there's this sense of, it just feels really good. There's the sense of like, oh, I'm not crazy, or I'm not alone in this thing, um, which I think is any form of writing or performing is maybe what you're trying to figure out. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and so now you work at <laughs> the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Mm-hmm. How'd you get hired for that? Um, Deech, Mike DiCenzo, um, is a producer there. And I think he was a big fan of Reductress, and he read some stuff that me and Jasmine had, had written. I mean, yeah, he's amazing, and everybody who works there is, like, truly the best, just, like, the best people that I think you could ever hope to work with. I mean, they're all just like, oh, my God, I love them so much. Um, But, yeah, he um, just read our stuff and decided to hire us, which, looking back, is kind of insane because I didn't really have any other credits at that time. I, I think I had done mod and reductress and... Yeah, I'd been doing comedy for, like, less than two years, I think, at that point. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's truly wild decision-making <laughs> <laughs> um, on his part, <laughs> but thank you. Um, yeah, and it ended up, um, yeah, I mean, I'm there now. It's just, yeah, it's, I don't know, luck and <laughs> luck and hard work and mostly luck. Oh, there's a lot of hard work, I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of that. But also, yeah, um, I don't know. He just found us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then we got to do some cool stuff with, um, I think, like, Jessica Chastain we were writing for. Um, and we did that thank you notes with Hillary. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, we did all that within the first kind of, like, two months that we were there. Wow. Yeah, it was really, really wild. Um I just didn't know anything when I got hired there. I'd never had a job like that. And there's really no way to teach you. You just kind of have to go and, and learn while you're doing it. Um, but yeah, it was, yeah. (laughs) What was the Hillary Clinton segment like? Insane. Yeah. Like really, really, again, like I was just kind of thrown into this thing. I had never produced a bit for the show before. I'd never, um, I had no idea what was going on, but I am um, Deech came over to talk to me and Jasmine and he was like, well, we want to do something for Hillary, but we don't really know what. Um, and so we were just talking and I maybe said something like, well, I just wish I could thank her. Like she, you know, just wish we could thank her. Um, and he goes, well, why don't we do like a thank you notes segment? Um, and it ended up happening. Like Jimmy, Jimmy ended up wanting to do it and, Everybody was very enthusiastic, and so, you know, all the female writers, like, ended up pitching jokes together, and we put the whole thing together um, with each other, and then when she came on the show, it was weird, too, because I'd been there for, like, nine minutes, and then they were like, now go and sit in the chair um, and talk to Hillary, <laughs> and I was oh, like, like, Jimmy Fallon's chair? Yeah. yeah. Um, it was a, like an, I just was, I was shaking. I was so nervous. Um, yeah, but actually being up there, it, it um, it's just this sense of like calm, like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm just talking to Hillary now. And she's very, um, direct and she's very politician, like uh-huh. she's very present and like engaged. <laughs> um, and she was very sweet. Like she came to talk to us afterwards and, um, just to say thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And that was your first time on <clears throat> TV, I presume, too, right? Yeah. What was that like? <laughs> um, just, I thought I was dying. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being behind the curtain and my, like, legs were shaking and my whole body was shaking. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, like, I'm going to go out. I'm going to fuck this up so bad. <laughs> and then the roots kind of started playing music and... I started dancing and I read this article once that was like, um, if you trick your brain into thinking that you're just excited, mm. it's the same chemical reaction as fear. So I was just telling myself that it was excitement. Um, did it work? Yeah, it went fine. Yeah. yeah nobody screwed up. Like we did the whole thing in one take, like nobody yeah. cried, nobody like, yeah, it ended up fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so this was your first <laughs> television writing job. So how uh, was that transition? Um, uh, stressful, exhilarating. Um, I learned a lot very quickly, um, about how to write for somebody else because I had never written anything that wasn't just exactly what I wanted to do. Um, so I think that is something, you know, you have to write for this show that's older and been around longer than anything you've ever done. So there are just certain institutions in place and um, you have to just find a way to 
adapt what you think is funny to the show. Um, and then also you're also a producer there. So anything that you pitch that they take, you're running around and, and producing the whole thing, which is an entirely different um, skill set. So, yeah. And then also just a volume of things. Mm-hmm. Like it's um, it's appetite for new material is unending. Right. So you just have to be constantly, um, yeah. How do, you, things out. How, how do you adjust to that? Like going from like reductress, which I'm sure was like a time consuming job, but then you go to like, you're like probably there from like nine to six every day, something like that. And you're doing bits every day. Yeah. I mean, I wake up at six. Um, I usually get in by like eight and wow. you, you can leave anywhere between seven to nine o'clock. Wow. So, you're, so it's like you're there from like 8 a.m. to like at least seven. Oh my no, God, I'm sorry. That's fine. You can leave there. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you're the it's yeah, you're just there all day. That's crazy. Yeah, and then you go home and you think about it and you sleep and sometimes I'll be like, "Oh my god, I hope I have a dream where I have an idea." <laughs> <laughs> and maybe I'll wake up <laughs> and it'll be perfect. Um, but yeah, it's a it's like a hole. Yeah. Yeah, how do you how do you adjust to that? Um, just like with anything that you know, it's like doing a drug or walking into water. It's like <laughs> slowly building tolerance. <laughs> Like, slowly realizing that, like, you're capable of much more than you thought you were mm. in terms of, like, commitment and, and time. It definitely takes, like, getting used to and, like, easing yourself into it. I remember the first week that I was there, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, and now I just, yeah, um, yeah, you just get used to it. Yeah. I was actually <laughs> thinking about stuff like that because I, uh, I wrote a play in a day like six months ago oh my god and it wasn't that crazy it was like uh, 70 pages but it wasn't that like nuts. yeah it's like lifting a car off your child right yeah uh, you <laughs> when anyone can do it at all times <laughs> right yeah. if you're a mother if you love the thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so do you do mostly monologue or sketch um, kind of, a little bit of both. I mean, I am a sketch writer, but there's a lot of crossover. Um, mono people pitch like for sketches. And then when you're a sketch writer, you also write mono jokes and, mm-hmm. you know, pitch things for the mono bit in the beginning. So it's a lot of, it's kind of, it's very permeable. Mm-hmm. How do you approach writing like a monologue joke? <clears throat> um, well, we have a huge dock of premises that we get sent, um, throughout the day and then in the morning and at night. Um, and you just read through or sometimes you don't even have to do that. You can, like, check Twitter or just, like, see what's out there, um, whatever people are talking about. Could be, like, news things. Could be just whatever is, you know, people are a buzz about. Um, and then, I don't know, just, like, think of what's funny about it. Um, I think there is there is a formula to it. I mean, I don't know. Like, I've been doing this for, like, I'm talking, like, yeah, like, I know what I'm, I've been doing this for, like, eight months. Like, I don't know shit. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I do think there are, you know, it's different for everybody. Like, how you, um, how you construct a joke or what you think is funny. I, um, yeah, but I think knowing immediately I think the more that you do it, the more that you're able to realize faster what you find funny about a thing. Um, and then you just make it a joke. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that that's very helpful. <laughs> um, but yeah. So when you do like uh, most of the live stuff, like at UCB and other places, and then you like go to like doing it for TV, what's like the big differences there? Just like the stakes are much higher, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's going the the quality and the standard of things and the the levels that it goes through before it's approved to be on air is much more intense. Because when you're performing at UCB or doing anything, you write something in your house for ten minutes and then you show up and you do it and people laugh or they don't and nobody dies <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is just much more. Uh, like a stricter version of that you know you you write what you want but it's you really have to be it has to be like in a perfect form for television for right. people to see like you just can't fuck up <laughs> yeah what kind of stuff do you say works like for fallon that wouldn't necessarily work on other shows um i think that i really genuinely do enjoy writing for this show because i think it is 
very silly and it has a lot of heart. Um, and I think, I think Jimmy genuinely just likes to make people laugh and make them feel good. And I don't think that everything has to be, uh, political. I'm glad that we have those options and, you know, I love John Oliver and things like that, but I, I don't think that's what everything needs to be. Um, and I think that, um, yeah, I mean, the, it just, it, the Tonight Show really st- sticks to just trying to make the most people happy that it can. Mm. Um, and I do think there's something valuable in that because eventually when you do go in and make a statement about something, whether it was like, um, you know, the sketches like Jasmine and I wrote about um, women auditioning for television roles or whether it's the Hillary thing, I think it can sometimes be more not more powerful, but I think there's a different value to that because you're reaching a different audience. Mm-hmm. You're not reaching people who are already locked into what they um, believe so much. I don't know. You're, because they're like, they're, they're, you're like watching something that's not really political, you're saying? Yeah, like you're reaching people who like, um, yeah, wouldn't expect to see something like that. Yeah. Yeah, versus a lot of the times... I don't know you can be kind of writing for an echo chamber you're writing for people who already agree with you um so it is an interesting challenge to try to like say something that you want to say to a group of people who don't already um want that right, right. <laughs> yeah it's the, it's the tonight show so it's like the number one thing yeah yeah yeah, so, and like my parents watch it, so yeah. you know, yeah. My parents are watching since Leno, Leno really? days. Yeah, oh, hell yeah. I used to stay up and uh, to watch Conan, and I'd watch the end of Leno. Anyway, that's well, it. That's yeah, all I gotta yeah. say about that. Yeah, I mean it. It's been around forever, and you know, uh, my, my parents would never watch something like John Oliver. Or, right. But it's too much for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's cool. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I think there's something special about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's something that surprised you about working in late night? Um, hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if it's specifically late night, but I mean, I was surprised, uh, that we produce our own things. I thought it was going to be a reductress type thing where you just write the joke and then you don't do, and then somebody else does something with it. Um, I guess I was surprised that like you actually have to visualize like graphics for things and how it's going to be staged and and stuff like that. Um, And then, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very, it's like a machine. It just, there is a specific way that it's run and it's very like, yeah, it's just more structured than anything I've mm. ever done. Have you enjoyed like producing your own <clears throat> bits? Yeah. Yeah. I like producing. I mean, it's nice to like be in charge of your own thing and to just learn how to make decisions and learn how to own a thing that you're doing and, um, make calls. I mean, I'm a very like, uh, I, I'm not as an aggressive a, per, a personality. Like, <laughs> I tend to kind of, like, sit back and watch things. So it's been interesting because it's put, put me in this position where um, I just have to make choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like it. I think it's a good thing um, and not something I've necessarily had to do before. Um, what would yeah. you uh, like to be doing next? Um, I mean, I think eventually I'd like to be writing more more scripted things. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I think like ultimately I'd like to be doing stuff that's more story based than just, you know, bits and, and jokes. Mm-hmm. Although I like that, but yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, long term, I'm more interested in um, like a series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we're going to wrap up cool. with you giving your thoughts on something I wrote. This is a sketch pitch. Mm. Um, okay, so someone. Someone is telling the police about the murder of their son. Uh, and when the police ask what like she was doing, she says she's watching an episode of Iron Chef America. And so and then she can't stop talking about the episode as she gives like more details. So it's like there was 
blood everywhere. It was like the same color as the beets Iron Chef Morimoto used in his risotto. So stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that's the basic idea of it, yeah. I think that's good. Yeah. I think that's... <laughs> yeah, I think that's great. Um, and what happens at the end? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that's like the toughest part of Sketch, right? Is figuring out how it ends. Yeah, which I guess you don't know till you... Till you write it, there. yeah. Yeah, I love it. Um, I love cooking shows. I love mm-hmm. murder. Um, yeah. It hits the quadrants. I love the cops. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's... This is great. You should write it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming to the show. Anything you want to plug? Um, the Tonight Show. The Tonight Show. <laughs> hey, a little show called The Tonight Show. Yeah, yeah. Watch it. <laughs> um, yeah. It's oh, my only plug. All right. Thanks for coming to the show. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of On Comedy Writing. I want to thank Nick Doss for supplying the sweet tunes. Zachary Glassman for giving us the awesome logo, and Boardwalk Audio for hosting us. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and like and follow on Comedy Writing on Facebook and Twitter. See you next week! Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit boardwalkaudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.